You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 23. We've been going through this wonderful book of Samuel, and we've been studying uh, Saul and how Saul started off so well and was so anointed to be the king of Israel, but then he let pride get the best of him, and he disobeyed God, and, and then he was told that the kingdom would be taken from him and given to somebody else, someone better than himself. And it became obvious real quick that that person would be David. As Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and not only did he anoint him with oil, but the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him for that role. And then he went and slayed Goliath and was catapulted into fame and into the in crowd, right? <laughs> he became part of the in crowd. And then King Saul, with that, that spirit of oppression that came upon him and needed David to play the harp to soothe him and quickly became jealous of David until David had to flee for his life. And then Saul sank to great depths of terribleness as, as he had the entire priesthood butchered. Remember that? Doag, the Edomite, came in and killed all of them at Saul's command because he thought that they were aiding and abetting David. And so David, remember, he would eventually, through his descendants, produce the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who would defeat the devil and rescue us from the power of sin and death. And, and David was a type of Christ in many ways, but also a sinful man in need of God's grace. And at this time, David was under attack. He was under attack, yes, from Saul, but Satan wanted this guy dead. And Saul, filled with malice and rage, could think of nothing but capturing and killing David. So David, having delivered his family safely to Moab, went to the forest of Hereth in the wilderness area west of the Dead Sea. In ancient times, there were oak, myrtle, and pine in places that are now barren. And so he's hiding in this forest with his men. And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 23. It says in verse 1, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Now, Keilah was a border town between Israel and Philistia, where the Philistines lived on, on the coast there of the Mediterranean Sea. It was about 10 miles west of the forest of Horeth, where David and his men were, in the lowlands of Judah. And the Philistines were stealing grain after it's been reaped, gathered, and threshed. So you remember they would reap the grain, and then they would separate the wheat from the chaff. They pile up all the wheat. And this was a very laborious and time-intensive task. And so the neighbors 
the friendly neighbor Philistines would wait until all the grain was, was gathered, and then they would come in and rob the threshing floors after the work had all been done. Nice guys. And uh, so that's what's happening here in this border town of Keilah. The Philistines were robbing them of their wheat that they'd worked so hard to produce. And now in verse 2, it says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, this is an amazing thing because David is on the run with his 400 men. They're hiding in the wilderness. They've got, Saul's got spies everywhere. And David just doesn't know one day or to the next what's going to happen. Is he going to get caught? Is he going to get killed? Is he going to fall into a trap? What's going to happen? And then he hears of this town of the Israelites, his people, that he knows that he eventually will be king of one day. And they're going through this terrible hardship. They're being oppressed and, and taken advantage. And so the king and the warrior heart in him gets fired up. And he's like, I want to go after these guys. I want to come to the rescue and save these people that God has called me to lead. But... I'm on the run, and this is not a good time. And, and going out there to Keilah is going to expose us to Saul. It's going to endanger us. It's going to incite the Philistines. Remember that David had actually gone to the Philistines hoping for sanctuary at one time, for help from them, that they would shelter and protect him. And now he's going to go and fight against them potentially. And so it's not really making sense to him personally for his personal good, but oh man, they're taking advantage of God's people, and I love God's people. What should I do, Lord? And that's the beauty of David, is he inquires of the Lord and says, Lord, what should I do? And so God answers and says, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is to rescue those who need to be saved. Those who, as I mentioned, are oppressed. There's an injustice happening. And God says, my heart is to rescue those people. David, step into tune, step into line with my heart and go rescue those people. And so that's what David hears from the Lord. Probably God spoke to him through the prophet Gad, because we've already read that this prophet Gad was hanging out with David and would hear from God and provide the word from the Lord. You know, what amazes me about this is that David is in such a desperate situation, and yet he's willing to go on the attack. And friends, we too are in a war. We're in a battle, and we have an enemy, the devil, who's constantly haranguing us, coming against us, planting thoughts in our minds that are contrary to the Word of God, which is why we need to stay in the Word of God and read the truth, because the devil's always wanting to plant lies. And if we're not giving ourselves truth every day, all the time, 
then we will begin to believe the lies that he plants. And so we've got the devil coming against us and it puts us on the defense. And we all can relate to that, to the attacks of the enemy in our lives. And so we resist the devil, right? We recognize the attack, we resist his attacks, and we rejoice in the victory that's already won in Jesus Christ. But our attacks come in the form of of health issues, of financial problems, relational problems. Boy, I find when it's time to preach a sermon or something or something, you know, God's going to do something good. There's an outreach that's about to happen or whatever. Suddenly, it becomes more difficult to keep the relationship stable for some weird reason. Or, you know, there's a bill that comes in the mail that was unexpected, and it's like you have a choice to, okay, forget that right now and trust the Lord or to let it get to us. I just find these things happen and we recognize that, wow, these are attacks from the enemy. And, and we need to resist those attacks and just be in faith, be in faith, trust the Lord. And so there's, that's one side of it. Then the other side of this war, just like any war, is yes, you're going to defend against the attacks, but you're also going to go on the attack. Go on the attack. Looking to take new ground. Looking to take back land that has been taken. And so God may prompt your heart to go to a dark place to minister. I remember hearing recently about a couple that were you know, just kind of regular middle-class type people who were called, though, to minister in the inner city in an area where there were a lot of gangs and things like that. And so they would go once a week down there and minister. And um, actually, and gosh, I'm trying to remember the details now, but I believe it was the man at least, but perhaps both were killed uh, as they were serving. They They paid the ultimate price. But what were they doing? They were going on the attack into enemy territory. And God will call us to go on the attack. And and so be open to that. Now, remember, the battle always belongs to the Lord. Whether we are on the defense against the attack of the enemy or whether we're on the offense and we're taking new ground. The battle belongs to him, and that's why prayer is the key, right? Prayer is is one of these beautiful weapons that we have where you can go into your secret place at home, your safe place, and you can launch cruise missiles (laughs) from your home that can land anywhere in the world. You can pray from your home for Ukraine. You can pray in your home for the Middle East, and you've got missiles going that way, spiritual missiles. And so whether it's the defense or it's the offense, prayer is so important. But when we think of going on the offense, on the attack, we think of missions and outreaches. We have our Harvest Fest coming up. And, you know, it's a big endeavor. And we go, well, gosh, are we going to have enough volunteers? Are we going to have enough people to help with all this and stuff like that, you know? But God says, do it, we do it. In faith, we step out and we go. In the name of Jesus.
Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we're not picking up swords and sickles and things and going and, and hacking people up. Thank you, Jesus. We're not warring according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, material, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, going on the offense, pulling down the strongholds, praying for that loved one that is lost in addiction, praying for them, pulling down the stronghold, praying for that unsaved person, going and ministering where other people won't. Have you heard of Father Damien? Father Damien, he was called to Hawaii, and there was a leper colony there in Hawaii. And he had a heart for these lepers because they would just go there and be isolated from everyone else. And a boat would come and resupply them with food. And he went and visited this colony and, and they were completely lost, not just as lepers, but spiritually lost. They didn't have the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And it was the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die mentality. And so it was just lasciviousness. But there was nobody there that would go and minister to them because nobody wanted to get leprosy. Well, Father Damien said, I'm going, and I'm going to trust that God will protect me. And if I get sick and die, well, then I get sick and die. He went on the attack, and he took the light into the darkness, and he ministered there hands-on ministry without even a consideration for contracting leprosy for 14 years until he finally contracted leprosy and the Lord took him home. But that was 14 years he ministered for the Lord without getting it and people got saved and the culture was changed as he ministered to the people of this colony. That, my friend, is going on the attack, taking ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I might add, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his command and by his empowering, because that's the only way that we or anybody else could do something like that and be so selfless and have the same heart of Christ. Think about how Jesus came from heaven to become a man on earth, this dark, sinful place, and walk the earth in perfection, and then die that gruesome, terrible death for you and for me. He was selfless, and he calls his people to be selfless too. And so here's David being called to be selfless as he's getting this prompting from the Holy Spirit. He has the anointing of the Holy Spirit saying, you're not going to put up with that. You're not going to put up with those Philistines coming in and robbing the people of God of their hard work and their produce. 
You're going to do something about that, and that's my heart. You're going to go save the people of Kayla. And then verse 3, But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kayla against the armies of the Philistines? So his men make a valid point here. Look, we're scared, man. We're running around playing cat and mouse with, with the government. They want to kill us. And now you want us to go and go out in the open and go to this city to rescue some people? Maybe we should just let them fend for themselves. After all, this is kind of Saul's responsibility, isn't it? Yes, it is. He's the king. Shouldn't he be going to the rescue? Yes, he should. What's wrong with him? He's filled with malice and rage, and he's doing everything he can to kill David. And he's using all his resources for that instead of doing his job and protecting the people, being their hero. And so the Lord is calling David to do it. So the men express their reluctance to follow him. And so David wisely seeks confirmation. Well, Lord, was that really you? Let's inquire of the Lord again and see what he says. Notice he didn't say, well, let's take a vote. It's not a democracy. It's a monarchy. It's really a theocracy in this case, as David is seeking God's will, God's heart. What do you want, Lord? And so David once again seeks confirmation for the sake of his men. And so it says in verse 4, Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Yes. And so David could now move forward with great confidence, knowing that God is on my side, that God is with me, just like he was with me when I ran at Goliath. He is with me now to come against the Philistines who are taking advantage of the people of Kayla. And so, friends, it's okay to seek confirmation on things. You think you got a word from God, but it doesn't, it's out of order it doesn't quite make sense. You know, it's the sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me kind of command. And you're like, wait a second, Lord. Let's talk about this. And that's good. Talk about it. Don't be impulsive. Make sure that you're really hearing from God and that you get those confirmations before you do something. And God's like, what are you doing? I never told you to do that. (laughs) You know? And so wait on the Lord, get confirmations. He is faithful to give us confirmations. He understands that we are faulty human beings. And sometimes we think we hear from him when we don't. Sometimes we hear from him, but we think we don't. (laughs) And and so we're just kind of, Lord, what's going on, you know? Just take a breath. If it's that important, God will repeat himself. And that's what I have found in my own personal life with the big things. God makes it very clear and he will keep speaking and confirming as many times as he has to, as long as we're not in rebellion. And that's the key. If you're hardening your heart against the Lord, you will not listen to his directives and his voice will become muddy. 
But if we're surrendered to God and we're just, Lord, I'm here to be your vessel, he's going to ask you to do things. And sometimes they're going to be hard things to do. But when you step into those things, you will find that you are blessed and that there is joy in it and God is present with you. And that's what we're going to find here with David too. And so it says in verse 5, And David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. Hallelujah! The people were saved, and there was not only that, but there was great spoil to be had as they took away the livestock of these Philistines. You know, if you dig a pit, you'll fall into it. We're going to go over there to those Israelites, and after they get done doing all their hard work, we're going to take the fruits of their labor. No, you're going to lose all your livestock instead. Praise the Lord, that is justice. And so these men, despite their fear, they followed the voice of God and they followed their leader, David, and they went into battle. Franklin Roosevelt said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. I like that. I think that this quote fits into our story today. Because here, it was obedience to God is more important than fear. I'm scared, Lord. Yes, I know, but I'm with you, so go. Obey me. Okay, God, my obedience to you is more important than fear. And so I'm going to go despite my fear. And that's courage, friends. And it requires faith, doesn't it? I'm going to trust you, God rather than the circumstances. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step out. Love for others is more important than fear. And David loved the people of God and the people of Keilah. And therefore, he and his men, despite their fear, went anyway to go rescue these people from the Philistines. And so David and his men had faith through fear. We know that the opposite of faith is doubt. And when we doubt, we become afraid. We have fear. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, faith and fear can coexist. The feeling of fear, but the act of faith. So with a feeling of fear can be an act of faith. Now, God can squelch that fear and make you fearless in the moment. That's what I find he does with me a lot of times, especially with sermons and things where I'm like, oh, Lord, I just don't have it together. And I'm going to get up there and make an idiot of myself and put my foot in my mouth. And that's going to look funny. And, um, and, and then I get up here and I start preaching, and the Holy Spirit in his, comes upon me, and so then I, I don't feel afraid anymore. But other times I can preach an entire sermon, and what I'm feeling inside may not be what you think I'm feeling. <laughs> you might think, 
wow, he's, he's teaching with confidence or whatever. But inside I'm going, oh, Lord, when is this going to end? This is horrible. And, you know, but it's God. It's him. And so we step out regardless of what we're feeling. So these emotions can, this faith and a negative emotion like fear can coexist, but despite what we're feeling, we act in obedience and we act in love. And that's faith. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And so the grace that came to the Apostle Paul in this particular circumstance was accompanied by faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. David and his men had experienced the grace of God. And now because of their love for the people of God who are being oppressed and their faith that God can see them through and give them the victory, they act. They act. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.